Hi, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. I'm like Santa Claus and Buddha, except I'm still pretty. We're here today to talk about As You Were, the 15th episode of season six. It aired on February 26, 2002, and was written by Douglas Petrie with story editor credits to Rebecca Rand Kirshner and Stephen S. DeKnight. This episode was also directed by Douglas Petrie. The second of only three episodes of Buffy will see him direct Over the Run, which is okay, because while he's not a bad director by any stretch, he's a writer's writer and is one of my favorites. I personally like that his energy is going more to the writing, as that's exactly where I want him. This episode sees the return of Mark Blucas's Riley Finn. Now, it's the rare Buffy fan for whom Riley was a favorite, but I think we can all agree, I hope we can all agree, that this isn't Lucas's fault, and maybe we can welcome the actor back and enjoy his nostalgic presence for just a little bit. Actors suffer a lot for the roles they play, and they get a lot of heat over choices that aren't necessarily their fault. If you ever get a chance to meet the guy, I hope you'll be extra kind and enthusiastic and send love from Chipperish and Still Pretty. You're dead. You smell like it. How do you get to say I'm the one who's stinky? Really? It's cool. I'll just catch you next time. Okay, look, here's the thing about criticism. It's not all about finding fault. Good criticism, righteous criticism, is about appreciating everything a piece of art has to offer, finding triumphs in work you don't particularly like, and being honest about the failures in the work that you love with your whole heart. It is so much harder to create than to criticize. I've done both, I know. And I have, in my darkest past, been the jerky critic who valued being clever and snarky over being fair and thoughtful. Anyone who worked in the Anchorage theater scene in the early 2000s deserves my heartfelt apology. I have also created things and put them out into the world and been the object of snarky slings and arrows from other critics, and I'm okay with that. It's the price you pay to create, and I will gladly pay it with interest for the opportunity to do so. I am proud of my growth in the world of criticism. I love the work I've done as a critic, and I think I've put enough good criticism out there to somewhat redeem my humble and insecure beginnings. All that said, I'm about to share some tough criticism with you guys, and while I do that, I want to remind everyone that creating something and putting it into the world is always a bold and admirable act, and the people who put creative work out into the world do ultimate good. When a person creates something, they are giving everyone who experiences that creation a gift, and they are putting themselves in an extremely vulnerable space in order to do it, and they deserve our respect and our gratitude. The critic risks almost nothing, and the creator risks all. So as far as I'm concerned, the creator wins hands down every time. That said, cards on the table. This episode is way down at the bottom of my personal list of Buffy episodes. Riley is textually terrible. Sam is a terribly written and ill-conceived character. We have a thread of girl-on-girl misogyny from Willow that I don't love. The Xander Anya stuff is thin and weird. And there's no Tara in this episode to elevate the grim proceedings. That said, we do have some bright spots here. Uh, Doug Petrie's dialogue always sparkles. We get some fantastic dawn. The Buffy Spike stuff is overall nicely realized. And this story leads to a moment of growth and self-actualization for Buffy that is well-timed and deeply moving. So, okay, let's get into the weeds. My hat has a cow. 
One of the best things that a writer can do is properly torment his characters. And that is the one thing that Buffy almost always has done without pulling any punches. We open the episode with Buffy at Double Meat Palace being lectured about glass ceilings by a tall, blonde, white guy, which is interesting. And slowly we tear her down from there. She gets rejected by a vampire who doesn't care for double meat eaters. She has a cheap interlude with Spike on the front lawn. She brings home a dinner for Dawn that Dawn can't stomach. She has grass stains on her awesome yellow coat. I love that coat. Oh, my God. She falls asleep on the couch. She misses the garbage delivery. She gets rejected for readmission to UC Sunnydale. She faces a sink full of dishes and a life full of yuck that would have most of us in the fetal position. And all of this in the first 10 minutes of the episode. And then, just when you think things can't get any worse, Riley Finn comes back. He's looking good with a scar over his eye, and there's no floppy hair, so that's good, I guess. He whisks her away from her orange-striped tower like a prince come to rescue the princess. He flirts with her, leads her on, stares deeply and longingly into her eyes, and fails to tell her he's married until his wife literally drops in on them. Don't worry, we're going to talk about Riley. But right now, we're dealing with Buffy. So Buffy's hitting rock bottom in this episode. And the thing about rock bottom is that this is when your feet can connect with the ground and you can push back up until you break the surface of the water and start swimming again. For Buffy, this episode is a positive moment of self-actualization. And while it is painful to watch, it's psychologically and narratively necessary and good. But sadly, before we can get to that, we have to deal with a series of unfortunate men. Got some uh, big stories to tell you, too. We even get have a second. Did you die? No. I'm gonna win. Okay. Riley. I didn't like Riley much after season four, and I pretty much hated him in season five, but I have never hated Riley more than I hate him in this episode. He comes back to Buffy and tears her away from the job that's paying her freaking bills. And let me just say, by the way, that every job may not be great, but working your ass off to care for your family is always honorable. So screw you and your passive-aggressive judgment about shocking orange not being her color, Riley. Every color is Buffy's color. She makes color. Idiot. Then... He flirts with her while failing to tell her he's married until his wife drops that bomb. While it's a nice escalation narratively, it's not great character work. Riley is a cipher of a character existing only to decode and shine a light on Buffy's crappy life for the viewer. A well-written character can also do that, but he has to live by the rules of his own story, his own growth, not serving just as a dirty, dingy mirror to reflect the protagonist back at herself. Riley's presented as perfect in this episode because we want to ratchet up Buffy's torment, but he's also clearly and willingly leading her on, and that makes him kind of a dick. Buffy, I meant to tell you when the time was right, but I thought I'd flirt with you and tell you how pretty you are and make you hold on to my manly frame for a bit and stare at you longingly first. Because I'm an asshole. And if that weren't bad enough, he fails to tell Buffy not to kill the demon, which seems to me like a salient detail, especially for a guy who's supposed to be all about the mission. So it feels like he set her up to kill the demon because he didn't even say anything when Buffy reaches for the demon's head with clear intent. I'm supposed to feel like Riley's the great missed opportunity, the one who got away. I'm feeling more than ever like Buffy dodged a hell of a bullet. Now, 
There is an argument to be made here that we're so deeply in Buffy's point of view that we're seeing everything through her clearly distorted perspective, which may not accurately represent the way Riley actually behaved in the moment. And while I accept that argument from anyone who cares to give it, I won't go so far as to agree with it. It's just shoddy character work. And speaking of shoddy character work, let's talk about Sam for a bit. She's blindingly perfect, understanding, tough but sensitive, self-deprecating, beautiful, smart, capable, blech. In each scene, her only job is to be absolutely perfect, and again, it's just to torment Buffy. She's not a real person, not a real character, and not well-written. This is not the actress's fault. She got some terrible material to work with. From the moment she drops in on the fight with the demon and asks, what exactly are you doing with my husband? She's inconsistent because we play her off as being jealous for just a second until it fails to suit our purpose. And then we make her perfect. She's humble and complimentary to everyone, telling Buffy she's like Santa Claus and Buddha, giving us the story of her past, going to Central America with the friggin' Peace Corps before winning the Nobel Prize for Literature and doing a little runway modeling on the side. Ugh. There is nothing less interesting than a perfect character. A good character is a mix of strengths, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities. But here we have Sam as all strengths, Riley as nothing but weakness, while textually being presented as the perfect man, and Buffy with all the vulnerability. We follow this through to the revelation that this mysterious doctor who is planning to riddle the world with slimy demons is Spike, which is a good turn for the Spike-Buffy story, and we'll get to that. But it's a bad moment for Riley, who is acting jealous and self-righteous in a way that is, you know, typical for Riley, but not actually good. From there to the end of the episode, where Riley and Sam make a dramatic exit, clinging to a line dropped from a helicopter, rather than driving the three blocks in any direction to hit one of the multiple international airports we have in Sunnydale, the whole thing is just... Okay. Remember what I said earlier about how it's always more honorable and ultimately good to create than to criticize? Let's leave the Sam and Riley discussion on that note and move on to some of the stronger aspects of the episode. See you this afternoon? Unless you're working. Tonight then, or, you know, tomorrow's school. Don't work too hard. Hi. Dawn, who has been the sad subject of much criticism lately, takes a wonderful turn in this episode. She's understanding, kind, loving to Buffy, and is smart enough to give Riley some serious side eye when he returns. It seems like the events of Older and Far Away have given us a new and improved Dawn, and I love that we're allowing Michelle Trachtenberg to be fun and funny and smiling. Trachtenberg has been a hell of a sport in portraying Dawn, taking some of the less-than-stellar material she's been given and putting her shoulder into it. But Dawn is really at her best when she's bubbly and having a good time. Buffy's killing herself to provide a good life for Dawn, and seeing Dawn happy and appreciative is a wonderful relief. I also like that Dawn is honest. She doesn't pretend that she's starving for another double meat burger just to make Buffy happy, but she's kind when she refuses the meal. She's forgiven Willow for everything and they're close and happy again. And what I love about it the most is that it's a motivated change. She's not just suddenly different, but this is a real and understandable result of the vulnerable conversation she and Buffy had last week. I like seeing Dawn evolve, and when she's angry with Riley in this episode, it's justified and relevant, not shrieky and shrill. And she also puts her anger where it belongs, with Riley, unlike, well, some people. You know, when I was little, I used to spend hours imagining what my wedding to Xander would be like, and now I look at them, I just think, nee. <laughs> 
We get a mix of good and bad Willow in this episode. She's happy, nay, I say chipper, about the progress she's making with Tara and the prospect of good times to be had at Anya and Xander's wedding. She's reconciling nicely with Dawn, and it's so fun to see her smiling again after so much Sturm and Drang this season. But then we get this. Just so you know, I'm prepared to hate this woman any way you want. Thanks, but no. I don't want to seem all petty. Well, that's the beauty. You can't, but I can. Please, let me carry the hate for the both of us. So here's the thing. Willow's loyal, and that's great. And I understand where her motivation to hate Sam comes from. But there's this thing we see culturally in women, and especially in writing about women, that makes them choose to hate each other rather than the man who's putting them at odds with each other. And let's revisit. Sam didn't do anything wrong. Riley did things wrong. He flirted with Buffy. He deliberately withheld the truth about his marriage. And he's the bad guy here. Sam is innocent. She is not the other woman. Buffy is the other woman, and Riley's the one who put her in that position. Now, if Buffy and Riley had been, say, married, and Sam and Buffy had been friends while Sam actively and with full knowledge pursued Riley, then, you know, fair enough. She'd earned some hate alongside the venom that Riley justly deserves. But that's not even remotely the case here. Riley is the one everyone should be mad at, but aside from Dawn, everyone treats him like the returning hero. And this misplaced girl-on-girl enmity is something I would expect Willow, of all people, to be above. What a bitch. I get loyalty and friendship, but this is a misstep. I'd expect this from someone like Amy, but not Willow. You're not even hungry, you're just nervous. Yeah, wedding, one week. We have friends, family, demons flying in, a to-do list getting no shorter, and do not take my chip. Xander and Anya's wedding angst is a repeating thread in this episode, so I guess we need to talk about it, although there really isn't that much to say. Mostly it's used for comic relief. Look how the happy couple is suffering with wedding planning. And it brings us back to this running theme of the torment of mundanity throughout this season. But there isn't much there there, except for a telling moment when Anya and Xander are hiding in their bathroom, thankfully not snacking on chips this time. And Anya worries about Xander thinking Riley and Sam are a better couple than they are, which, you know, a low bar benefits everyone. But there's a telling moment when Xander is comforting Anya, and he tells her that the wedding fills him with dread, but the marriage will last forever. And Anya takes comfort from that, despite the fact that lasting forever is not necessarily a good thing. What makes a marriage good is the people in it loving each other and being good to each other. And that's not what Xander said. If the best thing your marriage has to offer is that it won't die until you do, then that's not a good sign. But that's perhaps a discussion for later in the season. Well, that's bloody funny coming from you. No more games. That's all you've ever done is play me. And you keep playing with the rules you make up as you like. You know what I am. You've always known. Let's end on a high note, shall we? Look, y'all know that I'm a big Spike and Buffy fan, but this is not an uncomplicated relationship, and it's absolutely not a healthy one. In stories, there is a tendency to romanticize, to live by the flawed idea that love conquers and redeems all, and people who have chemistry and great sex are obviously meant to be happy together. Spike is a fascinating character. He's smart, he's funny, he's an attractive devil. But he is, at his core, a monster. And I love that the writers on this show never let us forget that. He's complicated, and the relationship with Buffy is complicated. 
On the one hand, Buffy is more honest with Spike than she's ever been with any of her other boyfriends, and that's a good thing. But the reason she's honest with him is because she doesn't respect him and doesn't care what he thinks of her. Spike is the hair shirt that Buffy uses to punish herself, and while they are fun to watch together, the relationship is essentially destructive, and that's not a good thing. The fact is that from the moment they first kissed in Once More With Feeling, this relationship was always going to end and end badly because no matter what good qualities Spike has to recommend him, they are always outweighed by his essential badness. He is a monster, and Buffy has been whistling past that for a while, but she can't whistle forever. So while I don't care for the Riley element in this episode, the Spike stuff is pretty damn good. He's cute and fun when he flirts with her. He's sad and pathetic when he tries to explain away the eggs. And the turn at the end where Buffy goes to him for comfort only to discover that, of course, he's the doctor. It's a wonderful splash of cold reality on a relationship that has been steeped in denial since day one. We do get a bit more denial from Buffy. It can't be Spike. He's Spike. He's too incompetent to pull this off. And of course, she's right in a way, as his failure to freeze the eggs puts them all in more danger. But she's wrong in that incompetence doesn't equal toothlessness. Spike is still dangerous, and he will always do bad things when and where he can. The chip muzzles him, but it doesn't declaw him. He is still a monster, and her gentleness with him during the breakup scene shows that she is finally able to see him clearly. I can't love you. I'm just being weak and selfish. Really not complaining here. And it's killing me. I have to be strong about this. I'm sorry. William. This is the last time that Buffy calls Spike William. She did it only once before when she found him lurking outside her house in No Place Like Home, which was also written by Doug Petrie, who is honestly one of the best writers whose work I've ever had the privilege to dissect. And I hope that if he ever sees this video, he understands the incredible esteem in which I hold him and his work. So, what brings you back to town after you left suddenly with no word? So... We had some stumbles in this episode, but there is also some great work here. Life is complicated. Relationships are complicated. Stories are complicated. People are complicated. The best thing you can say about a piece of art is not that it's perfect, but that it inspired rich and interesting conversation and thought. And whatever else you might say about any episode of Buffy, I think we can always say that. This episode gave us some good things to talk about, and it has some real high points with typically lovely Petri dialogue and a fitting and poignant and temporary resting place for the Spike and Buffy relationship. We had Great Dawn, some Great Willow, and excellent Buffy. That'll do it for today. Until next time, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and I may be dead, but at least I'm still pretty. See you later. <laughs> Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. <laughs> <laughs>